Horace Goodfellow, and this is True Stories of Stuff, the show where we delve deep into the real-life history of some of the most vital and life-changing inventions of the century. Tonight's stuff, fake cobwebs, a Halloween classic. What haunted house or spooky party wouldn't be complete without bees hanging from everywhere, causing a huge mess. What you may not know is that they were invented by this brother and sister duo from upstate Vermont, Dorothy and Philip Willem. Yes, well, we grew up during the, the Great Depression, you know, there were cobwebs everywhere all the time. And when the Great Depression passed, people started cleaning and dusting their houses again, and suddenly all the cobwebs were gone. Well, on the rare occasion you'd see a cobweb, why, it'd scare the bejesus out of you. Because mm -hmm. it reminded you when you were so poor you wore dirty sacks as clothing. <laughs> now, uh, one Halloween I was sewing the stuffing into a pillowcase, which is what teenagers did for fun back then. <laughs> and a bit of the stuffing got a cob on the lamp, and wouldn't you know, I thought it was a cobweb, and I nearly jumped out of my dress. <laughs> which is what teenagers do for fun now. Uh, when I realized what had happened, I thought to myself, hmm, this might be something. But like friends arguing over who farted, this brother and sister recall different origins. My sister didn't invent fake cobwebs. This is how it really happened. I saw some cotton and thought, hey, fake cobwebs, I can sell that, end of story. <laughs> I involved Dorothy because she was good business sense and I usually was too drunk to wake up before noon. No, 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 <laughs> Philip is a dolt, all right? He couldn't invent fake cobwebs if it fell into his lap, which it literally did. I did all the work and gave him half the company. Since then, back then, a, a woman couldn't uh, own a business without being accused of witchcraft. <laughs> well, those early days were great. I couldn't count them like fast enough. <laughs> Mainly because I had a third grade education. <laughs> After we hired an accountant, it became a lot easier. Yes, the Willoughby's quickly found fame and success. Seemingly overnight, the fake cobweb became as popular as the plastic jack-o'-lantern or the polio vaccine. And there wasn't a man, woman, or child alive that didn't want some of our fake cobwebs. We were invited to the biggest parties, the swankiest clubs. We were regulars at Errol Flynn's underage orgies. <laughs> World War II was in full effect, and I came up with the idea to drop crates full of our fake cobwebs deep into German territory. Gave those crocs a good spook. Some say it was the turning point of the war. I quickly realized we were above the law. <laughs> I once defecated in a policeman's hat and put it back on his head. <laughs> he just smiled and said, good one, Mr. Willoughby. <laughs> I had a sordid tryst with a standing U.S. president. Let's just say he had a very hairy Truman. <laughs> we did things in that awful office they still haven't cleaned up. <laughs> yes, the Willoughby's were certainly on top, but like my studio apartment after I left the door completely unlocked, something was missing. <laughs> Due to the stresses of running an empire, the only people my sister and I spent any real time with were each other. It's only a matter of time before... We fucked. <laughs> oh, what of it? You have to understand we're on top of the world. On top of the mountain, rules didn't apply to us. We do hand stuff in public. Oh, yes, no one batted an eye. Now that's power, kiddos. Incest, schmincest. You're the king and queen of fake cobwebs. Haters gonna hate. Dorothy and Philip had it all. Fame, success, power. Brother, sister, love. Yet still, one thing eludes them. 
I wanted an heir. It made sense that we keep it in the family. I mean, why on earth would we leave the future of fake cobwebs to someone who wasn't 100% Willoughby? I did not want a child. They smell, they're loud, they want love unconditionally, it felt like a scam. But whatever Dorothy wanted, Dorothy got. On February 19th at 8.15 p.m., after 163 hour labor, Dermot was sold. Yes, labor almost killed me. By week two, we decided on cesarean. Turns out I had inadvertently ingested enough fake cobwebs throughout the years that my uterine wall was lined with the stuff. <laughs> In a very literal sense, it was like her womb was a spooky haunted house where monsters were born. <laughs> yes, Dermot came out a little wonky. Maybe his feet were a little webbed and his eyes were midway up his forehead, but he was still a beautiful baby. <laughs> I had an average American upbringing. <laughs> I was kept locked in a windowless room until my fifth birthday. <laughs> it was like a much larger womb, but with less cobwebs. <laughs> we kept him locked away to protect his feelings. Children can be so mean. So can adults. It was hard not to laugh. I mean, his face looked like a cartoon giraffe. <laughs> Dorothy spared no expense. Platinum diapers, breast milk imported from Spain, designer Oakley sunglasses. The boy had everything. The sunglasses didn't fit very well. <laughs> but like finding your phone in the toilet, the Willoughby's ideal lives would soon be shattered by a mysterious accident. <laughs> I remember I was in my room when smoke started to seep in through the door. I breathed it in until I passed out. I didn't know what smoke was. It was very, very sheltered. I know Dorothy will blow this way out of proportion, so let me just say yes. The factory fire was caused by one of my mistresses attempting a sex act called the Flowering Inferno. I'll tell you, it was worth it. Thanks to Philip's carelessness, <laughs> Our business turned to ash overnight. Thankfully, no one was hurt except for dozens of staff, but that's what the insurance is for. <laughs> After the fire, I was allowed in other parts of the manor. It was nice seeing the outdoors. I had imagined what the sun looked like. That <laughs> was way fucking off. <laughs> yes, the Willoughby's perfect family was fractured. And like the first stomach rumble after a can of expired chili, the tough times were just getting started. <laughs> Mother and father didn't talk much after the fire. I often have to deliver messages between them. Dermot, tell your mother to pass the salt. Dermot, tell your father to blow me. <laughs> Dermot, tell your mother to eat a dick. Shut out that dick. Then shove that shitted-out dick back up her ass. <laughs> it was not easy being eight years old. <laughs> the business was down for six months while we rebuilt. Seemingly overnight, people stopped returning our calls. The invites stopped coming. Poor people would approach me without fear. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. After decades of being unstoppable, we were now weak, vulnerable. The vultures were circling, both metaphorically and actual vultures we kept in our aviary. They got out during the fire, and they kept trying to eat poor Dermot. <laughs> By the time I was 13, 
My parents couldn't stand to be in the same room as each other. They stayed in separate wings, and I began to run the business. I had yet to meet anyone my own age. <laughs> it was the moment I was grooming him for. I mean, he didn't go to school or learn anything about business, but he was born out of fake cobwebs. It's instinct. <laughs> as long as the bar stayed stocked, and she could have made a houseplant CEO. I mean, she basically did. I made friends out of fake cobwebs and glue. They acted as my board of directors. Some people accused me of stacking the board with yes-men, but a few of them, like Bunny Sweetheart and Hug McMouse Whiskers, tried to oust me for years. It started to dawn on me after he kept his imaginary board of directors well into his 20s and 30s that maybe having a child with my brother wasn't the best of ideas. He is such a beautiful boy, though. And Dermot reminded me of Howard Hughes, if Hughes skipped his pioneering aviation phase and went straight to peeing in jars. <laughs> the pee jars were supposed to put the company on top again. We <laughs> barely sold it. They were popular in Japan, though. <laughs> After 50 years, Willoughby Fake Cobwebs closed his doors for the last time. Their massive success may have faded, but like the band Sugar Ray, their legacy lives on. <laughs> when we started making fake cobwebs, we never thought we'd be titans of industry. We just wanted to trick rubes into buying cheap crap. I think we accomplished that. <laughs> I always had a dream as a little girl that one day I'd have a house with five rooms. I currently live in a 42-room estate. That little girl was an idiot. <laughs> I still have yet to meet anyone younger than me. I saw a picture of a child once. His eyes were much further down than I <laughs> Dorothy and Philip Willoughby haven't spoken to each other since 1962. Dorothy is currently the majority shareholder of Sammy Hagar's Cabo Wabo Tequila. <laughs> Philip, now 92, lives with his girlfriend, Kylie Jenner. <laughs> Dermot has since enrolled himself into school, starting in kindergarten, Billy Madison style. <laughs> I'm excited for this new stage of my life. Well into my 60s, I'm finally getting the childhood I deserve. I hope the kids are nice. Do you know, do children make fun of grotesque physical maladies? Fake <laughs> cobwebs was a big part of my life, but that's over with now and I have to move on. I had a small part in the Entourage movie. I recorded a single about bitches. And next summer, I'll be touring my memoir, Philip Willerby, Web Up a Dream. Yes, well, I'm working on a new business, fake anthills. You put them around their yard, and it's spooky. <laughs> oh no, uh, we're going to have a big infestation. I think it's going to be big. Next time you walk into a fake cobweb, will you attempt in vain to get it all out of your mouth? You can thank the Willoughby's. This has been True Stories of Stuff. I'm Horace Goodfellow saying, yeah, that happens. Yeah. <laughs>